Gotta wait for that catchy music. Good. Gotta wait for that. <laughs> that catchy music to die down. Now I know why Aaron always does this at the beginning of every message. <laughs> he milks it. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Element. We are so glad you're here. I know we're, we're changing things up a little bit today. Don't be alarmed. My name is Michelle G. I'm part of the staff team here at Element. If you're new, we're so glad that you've joined us. Thank you for being here. Uh, there are Bibles around the room and the seat backs in front of you, also on the communion tables. If you would like to use one today, please feel free. Also, if you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to have one, so please feel free to take that home. Also on the communion tables, we have these sermon notes you'll see here, and currently we're in a series called The Songs of Ascent, which is taking us through 15 weeks of the Psalms. So on these sermon notes, there's a brief summary of the message, and also we have a question for reflection and encouragement for prayer that we invite you to do with us for five days of the week. And then on this side, questions to either ask your family or friends. If you're in a gospel community, we would love to, uh, for you to have discussion with them. And if you have a smart device, you can download an app called Uversion, uh, go to events and then hit live. And by GPS, it'll actually bring up the sermon notes, announcements, the verses that we'll be reading today. So you're welcome to follow along that way. Would you please stand uh, with me for the reading of God's word? This is Psalm 125.1. Those who trust in God are like Zion Mountain. Nothing can move it. A rock-solid mountain you can always depend on. Let's pray. God, we thank you and praise you that you are strong and secure and immovable like a mountain. That with the ups and downs of life and the twists and turns that can surprise us, um, that you are not moved. That you are unchanging and strong, um, a true foundation that we can put our hope and trust in. We thank you, God, for being good and for being with us. We love you. Amen. If you'd have a seat, we will have a video message from Aaron. So as we start today, I just need to get this out of the way up front. You're probably wondering what's going on with Aaron's face. And so you're not distracted the entire time. This is what happens when you lose a fight with the sun years ago. And then you go to your dermatologist and he burns your face off and then you record a message. So that's, that's just what we got. What we are doing right now, let's just going through the Psalms of Ascent. This is Psalm 120 through Psalm 134. Uh, some people, if you're newer to Element, you're probably thinking 15 weeks in a series, that's a long series. And if you're not newer to Element, you're probably thinking that's about normal or that's about right. The Songs of Ascent are songs that pilgrims would sing and they would recite and they would pray on their way to Jerusalem towards the Feast and Holy Days. Now, obviously, we are not Israelites and we are not going to Jerusalem for these feasts, but we are heading ultimately towards Christmas. And these Psalms are meant to remind us of the great joy that we have when we celebrate the coming of Jesus at Christmas. And so it's supposed to move us towards what a life looks like when it's lived with God in discipleship. And so these Psalms, they were meditated on. And like I said last week, Christian meditation is not where we empty our minds of everything. It's where we fill our minds with the Word of God 
God and how we think about the things that God is doing as he leads and guides us. And then we let his spirit come and steep within us so we would live deep and full lives with him. And that results in learning to trust God and his guidance more and more. Now, so far in this discipleship journey, we have looked at different things. We've started in a place of repentance before God where we come to a place of understanding that God tells the truth where many times our culture does not. And so we want to start in a place where we turn to God and trust Him then for all things because the second step in our journey is trusting God, who He is and what He has said. That then will move into proper worship where we ascribe and acknowledge who God is and the worth of who He is and that we want to be like Him. So that then results in us serving others around us because we are made in the image of God and so are others. And so we extend ourselves like God has extended Himself to us. And after serving then comes out of that our witness to one another and the world around us because we speak of what God has done and drawing us to himself because he is trustworthy and he is good. And ultimately that results in our steadfastness, which is what we will talk about today. Now, when people hear the word steadfast, they think I've got to stoically muscle through all these things and look like I have it all together. Well, I'm here to give you some good news today. When we talk about being steadfast today, I'm going to talk to you about doubts and struggles and worries and anxiety. And the reason I'm going to do that is when I was doing this message, I had a friend of mine, one of our GC leaders, started talking to me about certain things that were going on in his life. And he had this friend that had just moved into the area. And this kid was raised in a Christian home, got married in a, in a church. And now that he's out of, the, out of the home and on his own, he starts to have all these questions about Jesus. And when he was growing up, apparently his parents just told him, don't ask any questions, just believe it just have faith. And I have always been of the opinion that questions about Christ and questions about faith in Jesus are good. At Element, we want you to be able to ask those questions because we believe that Christianity is a reasonable faith that can be reasoned for. We believe that Christianity is historical and it encompasses real-world verifiable events that are seen in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, there are some pastors and some teachers and even some parents who have done great harm by not allowing questions to be asked. And sometimes they're maybe just afraid they don't have the answers, which I'll tell you, it's okay sometimes to say, I don't know the answer, but let's go find it. And as I talked about last week in, in being a witness, before anything else, we must witness to what God has done. And that many times is being honest about where we are and what we are going through, even in our questions and doubts. What is interesting today is there is a trend now and people who only believe in naturalistic processes of how the world has come about, and they say God was not involved in it at all, and if you ask them questions about it, they too are now beginning to say, don't question it, just believe it. So they're becoming very religious in how they go about it as well. Now in the Bible, there is a very clear distinction between doubts and unbelief. And I think doubts are fine because you're searching for an answer, whereas on the other side, unbelief just refuses to acknowledge God at all, that God is true and acting on our behalf in the world. So open your Bibles to Psalm 125, that is page 333 if you have an element Bible. Uh, God does things in our lives, we need to trust that He is moving, even when we don't understand all that He is doing. I believe doubt in the end can actually strengthen us in our faith, where unbelief is an easy cop-out that just kind of doesn't want to address anything in our lives. I believe that those who have doubts 
can still be very steadfast, while those who live in unbelief live on this ever-changing and shifting sand. Now in Psalm 125, we're going to get to this idea of what steadfastness kind of looks like because it's centered in who God is. The impetus for these messages, uh, doing the Songs of Ascent, come out of this book that I was reading 20 plus years ago and I read it again recently called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, all about discipleship by a guy named Eugene Peterson. I'm going to read you his translation of this Song of Ascent. Psalm 125, he says this, Those who trust in God are like Zion Mountain. Nothing can move it. A rock-solid mountain you can always depend on. Mountains encircle Jerusalem, and God encircles His people. Always has, and always will. The fist of the wicked will never violate what is due the righteous, provoking wrongful violence. Be good to your... Be good to your Good people, God, to those whose hearts are right. God will round up the backsliders, corral them with the incorrigibles. Peace over Israel. Now, when I first became a Christian, it's a shocker back in the 1980s. I know so long ago, people in that feathered hair thing is all just coming back now. But there was this term that people use that Peterson uses in his translation called backsliders. It was girls who used to dress modest and now they're dressing in little black dresses and mini skirts and bright red lipstick. Uh, backsliders were boys who used to read the Bible all day and pray and now they're dating those girls in those little black dresses and mini skirts and red lipstick. It's people who used to really love God and now they listen to country music or something like that. You get my drift. That's another 80s thing. Some people think that those with doubts are backsliders. And I don't think that the Bible says that at all. I think that people with doubts, when they're honest about them, can lead them in again to deeper and deeper faith. This is one of the places I really don't care for Peterson's translation in this because the Hebrew word here is this word that's ak al kal, and it actually means to travel ways that are in back alleys and dark places, the places the people of God do not need to travel. As a matter of fact, if you read the English Standard Version and its translation of these verses, it says, "Those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will take them to take them away with the evil doers." It's a completely different understanding. It's not backsliding. It's as believers, we don't need to be afraid of not having all the answers. We can trust God. We don't have to walk those back alleys and back ways, even if we do have doubts or insecurities. One of the reasons I think God takes us and places us into the family of God is so we can come alongside one another and encourage and lead one another to trust God, even in the place where we are weak. Now, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, one of the things that is really kind of sad about people who call themselves Christians is that many times they're afraid of their worries and their doubts. They're afraid that it makes them not able to be steadfast in the world, when I don't think God's worried about that at all. If we think about back to the millennia of history, how God has faithfully loved His people and drawn people to Himself, do you think there's actually ever any question that has ever been asked that has not been answered at some point? And so I want to encourage you today, if you have ever had a doubt or a question you don't know the answer to, something you don't understand, take heart. Everybody at some point has, and God is the one who is faithful. In Matthew 6, 26 to 30, Jesus talks about how God cares for us. This is what he says. He says, look at the birds of the air. 
They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, could add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, and tomorrow is thrown to the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now there's another rendering, a different gospel account, where Jesus says, you know, can worrying add a cubit to your height? Like, can worrying make you taller? You know, if you're, if you're short, you just got to live with it. You got to accept it. Worrying doesn't add time to our lives, it doesn't fix problems, and it doesn't add inches to our heights. And worrying about our doubts or what other people will think about is where we struggle doesn't help either. And despite all of these worries, what does Jesus tell us? God feeds the birds, He'll feed you. God clothes the flowers of the field, He will clothe you. It's that God is the one who is good and secure. As I said, a lack of, a lack of faith or, or these doubts in us is something a lot of people go through. I have doubts sometimes. I mean, I have spent a lot of my life teaching, reading, studying the scriptures, thinking about Jesus, and there is still a small part of me when I die and I see him face to face, I'm going to be like, oh, thank God. I mean, thank you. I mean, thank you, because you're God. I'll, I'll be very happy about it. And this is why true faith exists in the midst of the doubts and misunderstandings that we have. Sometimes it has to. Faith and doubt grows in unexpected places and unexpected ways. There are people today who think it is, is unreasonable if you don't have faith in Jesus. And those who don't have faith in Jesus think it's unreasonable for those of us who do have faith in Jesus. And really, I think what Jesus is going towards here is that in order to have real faith, we must be a people who goes where it leads. Because where does real faith always lead? It leads back to Jesus himself. I think there are those who have, I have seen struggles with doubts in their lives, and they many times become much more steadfast than those who claim to never have any doubts at all. I love always talking about Mother Teresa in regard to this. When she was young, she felt God call her and love her. She's like, I will follow you wherever. And so she goes into the mission field, and she hits that mission field, and all of a sudden, she feels alone. And she starts writing in her journals about all these doubts and fears and anxieties and worries that she had. As a matter of fact, when she died, there were a lot of people who didn't want her journals made known because they thought it would make people stumble. And yet the opposite actually happened, where people started reading these journals and like, oh my goodness, she was just like me. And she is someone in the midst of doubt who lived a steadfast life trusting God, even though she had a lot of questions. So steadfastness doesn't mean we don't have questions. It means that in the end, we ultimately know, whether we fully understand it or not, who the ultimate answer to everything in the world really is. I read a book a while ago that said this, Faith, for us, the birth of every infant is about hope and a God who loves stories. But the death of every infant calls his existence into question. And this is why we come alongside one another on this journey and we walk these steps where we turn to God in repentance and we trust Him and then we worship Him and we serve one another. Now that comes our witness, which in the end makes us a steadfast people. Those who don't necessarily have all the answers or understand everything, but yet we trust God and walk with Him day by day by day. We all have the same information in our lives to work with. Some just process focused on themselves and some process focused outside of themselves. And we want to be a people in our steps of discipleship to focus outside of ourselves and on to God himself. That's the journey. It's why Jesus in Matthew 6 comes back to the idea, yet your heavenly father feeds them. God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown to the oven. Will we not much more clothe you? 
It's your heavenly Father knows what you need. A faith in God is not untroubled by anxiousness, worry, or doubt. It is the faith in spite of those things. There's a story of an elderly woman who once went and talked to the church reformer Martin Luther, and she talked about her faith, even though she has some doubts. And Martin Luther says to her, tell me, when you recite the creeds, do you believe them? And she says, yes, most certainly. And his response is, then go in peace. You believe more and better than I. Because we all walk through certain things that we don't understand. There are a lot of people today that think if you're just smart enough, you can work yourself through any doubt, anything that you have going on. But it's not true. There's this story of three people on an airplane. There's the pilot, uh, there's a Boy Scout, and the smartest man in the world. I don't know how they all ended up on the same plane flight, but maybe uh, the Scout won something, and so he got to meet the smartest man in the world. Anyway, the engine in the plane blows up, the plane starts going down, and the smartest man in the world looks over and says, hey, I'm the smartest man in the world. I have a duty to the world. And he grabs the one of the parachutes, because there's only two there. He grabs his parachute and jumps out the plane. And the pilot looks at the, at the scout and he goes, well, we've only got this one shoot left. I'm going to give it to you. You've got your whole life in front of you. And the scout looks at the pilot and he goes, no, no, that's okay. The smartest man in the world just jumped out of the plane with my backpack. See, because we have a lot of people today who are jumping out of airplanes with backpacks because they cannot understand the difference between faith and doubt and how those things go together in the paradox. It is why sometimes people with simplicity and their love of God can live a much more wise life than someone with a PhD who chooses foolishness. When Jesus says in Matthew 6, O you of little faith, those words are not spoken in anger. What they are is a true statement, and it's more like a gentle chastisement. Why? Because Jesus is not combating doubt here. What he's combating is the unbelief, the the thing that I'm not going to trust you versus I'm going to trust you, but I don't understand. The lack of trusting Jesus and what he is doing is a sign of unbelief. The doubt of what is God doing, but I'm going to trust you anyway, well, that's a sign of faith. This is what happens in the book of Habakkuk we just went through. Habakkuk has all these questions about God. God, what are you doing? And God says, this is what I'm going to do. And Habakkuk's like, I still don't understand what you are going to do in this. I don't get it. But at the end, he says, I'm just going to be quiet, and I'm going to trust you. I mean, I get it. I'm going to trust you. That's the book of Job as well. He goes through all these things with all these questions. And in the end, he says, you know what, God, I'll trust you. I'll ask my questions. And I'll, and I'll listen and wait, but I will trust you. Are we willing to trust the God who feeds the birds and clothes the grass? Or are we going to be a people who trust ourselves? The issue in the end is like Psalm 121. The second week of the journey is who will we trust? And honestly, many times we need to give ourselves like a five-minute time out and remember who God is and what He is doing in the course of eternity. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6 says this, Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? See, we are supposed to stay with this steadfastness. The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? And in the middle of places where we have doubts or where we, where we are afraid, we're supposed to repeat and remember that so we would know that God is good. And the first time you repeat and remember in the midst of places you have doubt or fear, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, you may not even believe a word of it. And then maybe the second time something comes up and you're really afraid and you repeat that, well, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. You may not believe a word of it, but eventually as you repeat and remember who God is and what He has done, that fear will start to dissipate. Because your mind and heart will start to focus on who He is and not upon ourselves. And there really is just this question that's hard to understand. Why is it so hard for us, as people who follow Jesus, to share our real doubts and struggles with each other? 
Why do we think it's impossible to trust God if we have doubts? Because it's something that we do every single day. We don't even know what tomorrow is going to bring. Is it going to be COVID-20, COVID-21? Is it going to wipe out everything around us again? And yet we still go forward because we know our life is actually in front of us. And there will be questions about God because God is far too immense for us to figure out in the three-pound brain that we have stuck between our ears. And if we could ever actually figure out God completely, I don't think He would be God. I just don't think it's even possible. God is way too majestic for us. And because we have these questions, and I think that we act like it's not okay to have these questions, we stop being steadfast. We stop being honest with God. We stop being honest with other people. And I think that leads to certain things in our lives. Let me give you some t- statistics in this. Uh, four out of five self-identified Christians, 81%, say they have made a personal commitment to Jesus that is important in their life. Okay, great. 81% of people who follow Jesus. I don't know what the other 19% who say they follow Jesus have done, but whatever. Okay. Uh, Less than one-fifth of those people, 18%, claims to actually be totally committed to investing in their spiritual development, walking on that road of discipleship, walking on that journey. And about the same proportion, 22% claims to only be completely dependent upon God. Only 22% of 81% of people who say they follow God and He's important in their lives. Why is that? I think part of it is that we're refusing to be honest with one another and refusing to be honest with God about the places where we struggle and have doubts. The majority of self-identified Christians in the U.S. say they have confessed their sins to God and asked for His forgiveness. But very few, 12%, said they are serious about abandoning their sin and handing total control of their life over to God. This is one of the reasons that we probably have doubts in our lives, that we don't remain steadfast, because we refuse to actually turn all of ourselves over to God. Oh, my sin's bad. I want to ask God for forgiveness, but I don't really want to leave the sin in my life because I like it. One-eighth of Christians admitted to recognizing the sin in their life when they do that, that has led to some sort of crash emotionally because they realize that they are unrighteous before a good and holy God. And that leads to some places of actually struggling through those doubts. Well, how can God love me if I'm so sinful? And this comes back to understanding and repeating and remembering the gospel. In fact, in this study, they found that only 3% of all self-identified Christians in America have come to the place where they say they surrender control of their life, submitted to God's will for their life, and devoted themselves to loving and serving God and other people. 3%. And if you would ask me that question, I might not be part of that 3%. Because sometimes I want to serve me more than I want to serve God. And this is why we take these steps on this journey of discipleship. We want to be a people who trust Him and walk with Him even in the midst of the places where we are unsure. At Element, we talk about gospel communities a lot. We believe that everybody should be in a community that centers themselves on the gospel so we can talk with one another and walk with one another through the hard places. But most self-identified Christians do not take their faith community seriously as a place where they should be held to biblical principles with one another. Only one out of five Christians, 21%, believe that spiritual maturity requires a vital connection to a community of faith. It's like one in five people who call themselves Christians, only one in five believe that to grow to maturity, we need to have a connection to a community of faith. Only one out of every three have had accountability in the last year where they have confessed their doubts or their sins to one another. And this is why the journey of discipleship is so important, because God leads us as a people to be part of His people. 
Do we trust God enough to step into places to be honest about the places that we are having doubts, that we are having struggles, so we can come alongside one another and help one another become steadfast? It really makes us ask, do we believe what we say we believe? And I don't mean this message to sound like a total bummer to you. It's not meant to that. It's meant to be freeing. It's meant to be encouraging because we all go through certain things. Because I'm not saying you have to have doubts. And I'm not saying you don't have to have doubts. I think we can do both of those things. But if we want to be discipled and be a steadfast people, we must be honest about where we are in the midst of all of our questions. So I want to look at kind of how this plays out in our lives, maybe in a practical way. I've told you about this before. Michael Novak has actually broken this down down into different kind of convictions that people have and what steadfastness maybe kind of looks like in our lives. And so the first one he calls is what is called public convictions. And public convictions are convictions that we want other people to think that we have. We say them out loud so people like us, think we're compassionate and kind, so people think that we're those kind of people. Now, example, if someone asks me, say, someone I love dearly and says, does this outfit make my hips look big like my answer might be oh I didn't even know you had hips until you mentioned hips I I don't know what that is this kind of goes into our cancel culture today where people are afraid to really say anything because if you do somebody's going to take it wrong and they're going to want to cancel you Stephen Colbert actually says the quality to which certain things that people say aspire to what he calls truthiness they may not be true but they sound true and it allows the speaker to impress other people with their sincerity even though they might not be sincere now sometimes Sometimes being part of a church even increases that for people because they want to say that they don't struggle with certain things and they have no issues over here when maybe they do but they don't want to say that they do and we need to be a people who understand it is okay to talk about our struggles with one another because when we do it makes us more steadfast but we have these public convictions and sometimes pastors are notorious for this because they can preach with sincerity and maybe they have some doubts in their hearts that they never tell anybody about And if we ever want to be a people who walk the road of discipleship with one another, we must learn to be honest. So public convictions. Now, the next thing he calls them is private convictions. Private convictions are things that we think we believe, but when the rubber hits the road, it turns out we may not believe those things. It it sounds odd, but it's like this. The night before Jesus is crucified, he tells Peter that you're going to deny me. And Peter says, I will never deny you. In Mark 14, verses 29 to 31, Peter said to him, even if they all fall away, I will not. Uh, This is all these other loser disciples you got, Jesus. They might fall away, but I won't fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Now when Peter said that, in those words, was he sincere in the moment? Of course he was sincere in the moment, but were those convictions true? No. Did Peter feel the same way when he actually could have died? No. There are some times that we think we have certain convictions and it turns out we don't. They just don't run that deep. Like when our circumstances change, we feel differently. I have done a lot of weddings and in a lot of weddings you get to this place and the couple says, till death do us part. And yet that's not always the case. When they say it, they may think that but it may not always be the case. Now, I like some older movies. Uh, There's this old movie called Elmer Gantry. It's also a book as well. But in this uh, book and movie, Elmer Gantry, he is a early 20th century revival preacher. And he would go around and preach with great force about the power and the love of God and the wickedness and darkness of sin. And yet in between all these revivals that he was doing, he would chase women. uh, He would scheme for money. He would guzzle whiskey. There's a reporter that starts following him around in the book and in the movie because Elmer Gantry 
getting a pretty big following. And so he starts to follow him around. He watches Elmer Gantry's life, and he's like, man, your life just, just doesn't add up. What's going on here? And so he asks Gantry, you know, do you really believe what you preach? And Elmer Gantry's response was, when I'm preaching it, I do. That is a private conviction. It's not something that actually moves out into our lives. So what does it really mean to be a steadfast people? Well, this comes down to what Michael Novak calls core convictions. And core convictions are revealed by our daily actions, what we actually do. Because sometimes we have doubts or questions and we follow God steadfastly through those things. That shows that we truly do love God in the midst of them. Every one of us has a way that we believe the world actually works. I believe if I touch fire, I'm going to get burned. Some of you believe if you drink coffee in the morning, it gets you going. We are a people who believe in gravity. We don't have to get up every day and say, today I'm going to show my commitment to my belief in gravity. No one has to remind themselves not to jump out of a 10-story building. Or unless you want to hurt yourself, then you jump out of a 10-story building because of your belief in gravity. Our actions are congruent with our belief in gravity, our core conviction of that. Gravity is part of that, and so it's the way things really are. So we walk around in this world just naturally trusting gravity. And so what that means is for everything else, we have to look at our own behavior to find out what we really believe. How do we find this out? Well, this is real life with all of its ups and all of its downs. And when you look at someone like Mother Teresa, in the end, with all of her doubts and struggles, she was a person who was steadfast because in the end she said, God, I'm going to follow you and trust you. And we have all these glorious little gifts in our lives every single day that God gives us and every trial that he takes us through so we would understand how to trust him more and more. In Psalm 125, when it says, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, it doesn't say that God is depending upon us to not move. It is not our faith without doubt. It's that we depend upon God because He is like Mount Zion, because God is the one who doesn't move. It says, mountains encircle Jerusalem, and God encircles His people, always has and always will. The emphasis in this psalm is upon who God is, or I would say the God who is, that He is solid especially when we are not. Living as a follower of God is not meant to be a fearful trek where we're always looking over our shoulder where we might have said the wrong thing or thought the wrong thing. We're not meant to be like a celebrity on Twitter. Much of the world loves to make fun of Christians when they fall and fail, but our failures are not what count. It is that God himself is our fortress and our salvation rests upon him. There's this dad who goes to Jesus and his kid is sick and he says, Jesus, can you heal my son? And Jesus is like, can I? And the guy's all, no, 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 I believe. Just help me in my unbelief. Like, I trust you. That's why I came to you. But there are just these areas of my unsurety, and I want to trust you in all things. Now, geographically, Jerusalem is set in what's called a saucer of hills. It made it a safe place to be. It's why when a lot of other places in Israel were, were captured by foreign powers, uh, the places in Jerusalem actually stayed longer than everywhere else because of its protection. And the psalm writer is saying that those of faith are protected by God himself. We're encircled by him. That our, our steadfastness and our hope is in a God that we trust. Not that we're a people that can just run around always trusting ourselves and none of our doubts, but we trust the God who is faithful. Even if we don't know what's going on outside that saucer of hills, we know that God himself is good. And that doesn't mean that we don't experience trials. It means that God carries us through those trials as he teaches us to trust him more and more. Peterson writes this, Better than a city wall, better than a military fortification is the presence of the God of peace. 
See, people of faith have the same need for protection and security as anyone else. Spiritually speaking, Psalm, speaking, uh, Psalm 46 verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And this again goes back to Psalm 125. Mountains encircle Jerusalem, and God encircles His people, always has, always will. We don't always have to be looking over our shoulder in the moments of our doubt like God has somehow left us. God is not going to lead us, leave us. God is a God who steps into the places and He knows what we need before we even ask Him. God is always with us, which goes to our core conviction. Elton Trueblood once wrote some profoundly true words. He said this, The deepest conviction of the Christian is that Christ was not wrong. Is that our deep conviction? Yes, faith does involve certain beliefs. We surrender our lives to Christ because of the gospel. We trust that God saves us because of the gospel. And that includes an attitude of hope and confidence in who He is. But at its core, faith is about trusting a person. And it's hard to really live as Jesus' word would in the world if we aren't a people in our core convictions that believe that what he said was true and right and that the gospel was true and right, even in the midst of our doubts and our questions. I think some people who claim to be Christians, you will see, they are selfish and they're greedy and they're judgmental. I mean, don't ask me how I know that. I just, I just do. Uh, there are other Christians who claim to follow Jesus and they are humble and generous and kind. Both say they trust Jesus. Both do. And both may think they do, but their conviction about the way things really are is completely different. And many times I will tell you, the most humble people who are the most generous and loving are the ones who do struggle with doubts. The ones who do go through hard places, they seem to remain the most steadfast in loving others like Christ has first loved them. That's what we have to understand. Sometimes there are two different kinds of people in the world that say they believe the same thing, but how we live in the end will show our faith in who Christ is through even the hard times. Because Jesus never said, you got to believe all my arguments. Jesus said, follow me. So we follow Him. And many times in following Him, what it does is it brings this deeper and more sure faith that becomes more and more steadfast. Following Him in the midst of places that are hard and we don't understand, that steadfastness. And information alone does not bring about the transformation of our lives. There's no way to really walk through all of our doubts and live steadfast without simply walking with God day to day. It's not that God just removes those. It's God's like, trust me as we walk through this and you will grow stronger and stronger. One writer says this, in the long run, anytime we avoid doing what God calls us to out of fear, we die a little. When we truly trust God's spirit, his peace is when you go out on a limb knowing he has you, even when you're scared doing it. Because walking with God and trusting him every day is what leads to this steadfastness. We follow Him even when we don't understand all that's going on, especially in the witness of our lives, because trusting God in the midst of fear will be a great witness to those around us who think, well, I can't be a Christian because I have too many doubts. I don't understand all these things. What we do is we trust God's goodness and God's faithfulness first. That's who we are meant to be as a people, those who walk with Him, even in the places that we don't completely understand. We trust Him, we walk with Him day by day, and it may be scary, and it may be hard, but as we walk into those harder and harder places, trusting God through it, it actually builds our faith. It builds us being a steadfast people who trust Him in all things. At Element, one of the reasons every week that we come to the place of communion is that we remember that it is not about us. It's not about us trying to save ourselves with not having any doubts. It's about trusting a God who feeds the birds and clothes the flowers and will take care of us as well. And how did God take care of us? By providing a way for us to come back to Him in trust and faith. 
that does not mean that we never have any doubts and that we never struggle, we never have any anxiety or any fear or worry in that. It's that we trust that God has simply been good enough to bring us to himself and he is the one who will grow us in walking with him. And every week we come to this place to remind ourselves of what he did to do that, to bring us back to himself through a work that he himself did. And this is why you take that cracker and you break that cracker like Christ's body was broken for us of his own volition. And you drink the grape juice as a reminder of what God has done in allowing Christ's blood to be poured out for us. That he is the one who provides the way for our salvation. We trust in him by living with him faithfully day by day through all of our struggles and all of our worries and all of our fears. But that faith to even do that comes from him. So we want to bow our entire lives before him and trust him in all things because of the good news of the gospel that God rescues us. And if you have prayer requests this morning, maybe you're in a place and you have all these doubts and worries and fears and you don't understand you know, your left hand from your right hand or when you read the Bible what this means or what these people, we would love to be able to pray with you. If you, if you grab whoever's at the Welcome Center this morning, they'll connect you with somebody to be able to pray with you and talk through some of your doubts. If you have questions that you never had answered that you think are keeping you away from trust and faith in Christ, well, grab someone this morning. Let us begin to answer those questions for you because Christianity in the end is a reasonable faith, but it is a faith that is firmly in the person of Jesus Christ and not ourselves. If you would like to give, there's offering boxes and all the side walls. We give because God gave so much to, to us, giving us part of our worship. We don't pass a plate. It's always a response to what God has done. And I would encourage you to grab the, the sermon notes this week. Uh, the physical copies are great because in those you will have five days of things that you can answer a question to and then pray for each day. And then go through questions with people who are around you, talking about what steadfastness actually is. Like, what did you think it is? And what do you think it is now? And can people with doubts and worries and anxiety actually actually be a steadfast people and have you known people who have been steadfast even through the midst of their anxieties and fears because we want to be a people who understand that our salvation is from God and God alone and that's really what faith is about it is following him trusting him for what he has done even as we go through the things that are so unsure in our lives because our God is sure and if you are someone who has, who has struggled with simply trusting God to be God over you, we would love to be able to pray with you, as I said. We'd love to be able to walk through some of these things and maybe come to a place where you would trust the gospel more and more because our God is good. Let's pray. Father, today we ask that you would take us as a people and that you would teach us to trust you. God, if we are completely honest, there are many places in our lives that we move to the place of, of doubts or anxiety or fears or worries. And I know lots of people who walk through those things as well and think that maybe it makes you not love them as much as you say that you do. But that's our own insecurities. That's our own worries and fears. And so I ask for those people that you would bring a conviction of your spirit, of your grace, of your love, of your hope that is given to us every day that you are a God who longs to restore us and bring us back to yourself. And so for those in this room who do struggle with doubts, I ask that you'd start to answer some of their questions, that your spirit would lead them to places where that they could you know, find out how good you really are, and that ultimately in the end, we would simply be a people who trust you for our life, for our salvation, for our hope, as we walk this journey of discipleship with you that we would come home to you, that we would trust you, that we would worship you 
that we would then live in a place of, of witness of what you've done as we serve one another and that our lives, even in the midst of all of our trials and struggles, would be steadfast, loving you because we understand that you have first loved us. And we ask this in your son's good name. Amen.